next, Samuel. We're going to look at uh, two chapters tonight. <clears throat> and remember, just two weeks ago, I believe it was, when we were in 1 Samuel. Two weeks ago, we were in 1 Samuel, uh, the last, last uh, 24, and we saw a similar situation to what we're going to see in 1 Samuel 26, where David has an opportunity to assassinate Saul. And then last week, we saw David wanting to not just assassinate somebody, but to murder a whole household um, and Abigail intervening and interceding on behalf of her husband, whom God dealt with. And we, last week we, we recalled Hebrews 10.30, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And, and that verse comes to mind again tonight, although in this chapter, perhaps following up on being corrected on, on his intentions to slay uh, Abigail's husband and the whole family, Nabal, and his whole family, his whole household. You know, perhaps he goes back, he comes back to realizing that he should not, you know, take vengeance for himself. That he should not take matters into his own hands. Or perhaps he's, he's looking ahead to the future when he will be king and understanding that he does not want someone to assassinate him when he's king and that he ought not to touch the Lord's anointed. We're going to see that in chapter 26. But then we're going to see a different side of David again in chapter 27 tonight. You know, for those for whom we work, those whom are over us in government, we should have a healthy respect, for the, especially for their position and their authority over us. Yes, yes. And there's some who are not wanting to give that respect to our rioting. I, I don't think it's just protesting. I think it's rioting in the streets. And that's true. And, and so we owe a certain respect to our authorities. But at the same time, sometimes, of course, authorities can be wicked, can be evil. They, they might not have everyone's best interests in mind. But while we respect their authority... Let's not get to the point where we're afraid of them. That we don't put our fear, that we don't raise our level of respect to a level of fearing the man to the point where we're not trusting in God to take care of us and we're afraid of the man. I think we see the right level of respect in chapter 26 tonight. But then in chapter 27, I think we find David fearing the man, King Saul, and that leads him to certain actions that are not showing his trust in God. They're showing that he still has a lot of human wisdom, uh, a lot of shrewdness. And we've seen David lie already in 1 Samuel. He's going to do something like that, living a double life in, chap in chapter 27. So we're going to see that contrast tonight of David's giving the proper respect to King Saul in chapter 26, but then fearing man 
in chapter 27. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. And I think we see that a little bit in chapter 27. So in these two chapters tonight, we're going to see how we ought to respect our God-given authority of those over us, whether it be employer, whether it be in the government. But we ought to also ought to avoid fearing man rather than God. So we ought to respect a man's God-given worth and authority, but we must avoid fearing man. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, I just pray you bless this message. I pray you bless this reading of your word. I pray that you'd speak to us through your word and uh, through the message from your word as well, and that you would work in each one of our lives. I pray that you would encourage us that uh, no matter who we work for, no matter um, what our responsibilities are, no matter what, um, who is in our authority over us in government, that we would respect them, value them, honor them, but at the same time, not uh, fear them so that it does not develop a fear of man and fear you and honor you more than man and always do what you would have us to do. Pray that we'd uh, glorify you with our lives and through this message tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So first, David rightly respects King Saul as the Lord's anointed, and he spares his life for the second time in 1 Samuel 26. And we're going to see in the first nine verses of 1 Samuel 26, David resists, again, a second time, resists those who are close, the counsel of those who are closest to him, who want him to assassinate Saul. And he has the opportunity. He has the opportunity. If he wants to take Saul's life, he can do it. Here, let's read verses 1 through 9 of 1 Samuel 26. And the Ziphites came unto Saul to Gibeah, and saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hekilah, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Seems like we've seen this before, doesn't it? Verse 3. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hekilah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the captain of his host. And Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul, to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. And David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. But Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. 
Now therefore let him, let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. And David said to Abishai, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And uh, I forgot to double check this, but if I'm not mistaken, I, notice, notice David's words here, which are God will, will hold the person accountable who assassinates the Lord's anointed. And he will not hold him guiltless. And I think they, from, from this verse, you can even look at the future events that happened with Abishai in a, a spear being smitten to the ground. It's either him or his brother. I believe it is him, though. Abishai. So I know David, uh, Joab has two brothers, similar names. So correct me if I'm wrong here. But Abner is going to end up smiting Abishai to the ground with a spear. Yeah, with, with, the, with the blunt end of the spear, I guess, right. that you would normally stick in the ground. And he's going to get smote to the ground, and people are going to stop and stare. And that's exactly what Abishai is arguing King, uh, David should do to King Saul right here. But further down the road, it's going to happen to Abishai by Abner. And then, of course, Joab will assassinate Abner, and uh, just, just kind of a, a messy situation later on. But... Uh, David resists the counsel of one of his, this is, Abishai is listed in the, the short list of mighty men of David. He's one of David's mightiest men. He's one of David's closest counselors. He's related to David. I believe he's a nephew of David. And uh, again, correct me if I'm, I'm uh, messing that up, but I believe a nephew of David, along with Joab and the other brother that's sometimes mentioned in that list. And they're all mighty men of David. And he counsels him to kill Saul. And David resists that. David recognizes this would be wrong because he is the God's anointed and respects the authority that Saul has. And then in the next couple of verses, notice that David is trusting God to punish Saul and does not take matters into his own hands. Look at verses 10 and 11. David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid, and you know that's exactly what's going to happen. He's going to descend into battle and perish, and it's going to be foretold that that will happen. Verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let, it, and let us go. So David does take some proof here. He takes some proof. Once again, you know, in the previous event when, when David had an opportunity to assassinate Saul, he cut off part of Saul's garment and actually felt bad for doing that. Here he again, he takes the spear and takes the cruise of water and goes as proof that he was right there next to Saul. But the first thing David does, interesting enough in the next verses, is not to 
call on Saul directly, but rather to rebuke Abner, uh, the commanding officer under Saul, for his careless job as bodyguard, basically head of you know, King, King Saul's secret service. He's not doing a good job here protecting his master. And so David's holding Abner responsible. You know, Abner's not preventing David from sinning here. You know, uh, you, you, maybe you've heard the, the saying, keep the honest people honest, lock your car doors. You know, Abner's not doing that. Okay, he's not, he's not keeping David honest here. David has to keep himself honest. If David wanted to, he could have killed him. He's saying, Abner, you should have been not giving me this temptation to kill Saul you know, or someone else that, would, not, that would, would have yielded to that temptation. You know, his blood should have, would have been on your hands, he's basically telling Abner. He calls him out. Let's look at verses uh, 12 through 16. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster, and they got them away. And no man saw it nor knew it. Neither awaked, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. And so perhaps it wasn't as much of Abner's fault as God putting him to sleep and the rest of the people. But David's going to call him out. Verse 13, Then David went over the other side and stood on the top of the hill afar off, a great space being between him. So he does not trust Saul. He's not, 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 even going, he's not going to allow Saul to be tempted to kill him or any of Saul's men. Because, you know, he knows there's some of those that are very loyal to Saul. Uh, thinking, we think of the Edenite who are, think of the man who helped kill the priest. You know, he's not going to give them that opportunity. He's uh, going to play it safe here and put a, a distance between him and Saul. And look at the, the next verse. And David cried to the people, verse 14, and said to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? And David said unto and David said to Abner, Art thou not art not thou a valiant man? And who is like to thee in Israel? And of course, valiant's in italics to give us the idea here. Art thou not a man? In other words, a valiant man. Uh, man, it's actually in italics, but art thou not a man, art thou not a valiant man, who is, like, who is like to thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy Lord the king? So David's basically saying, Abner, aren't you the strongest man in the army? Aren't you the top, of, uh, aren't you the top officer? And yet you're failing to do your job to keep King Saul safe. And here's why he's going to give the evidence. Wherefore, then hast thou not kept thy lord the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king thy lord. This thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, thou art worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master, the, king's, the lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, and the cruise of water that was at his bolster. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is this... Thy voice, my son David. And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O King. And notice in verses 17 through 25, first starting here in verse 17. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is this the voice of my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O King. 
So he, he, he addresses him with respect. Lord, thus pursue after his servant. So notice he's putting himself in his proper place under his Lord's authority, under King Saul's authority, showing, still showing that respect to Saul. For what have I done? And yet he is appealing to Saul, as one should appeal to those in authority over him respectfully. We, we looked at uh, that principle with, with Nehemiah, speaking to the king, Artaxerxes, uh, last, this past Wednesday. For what have I done? Or what evil is in mine hand? Now therefore, so he's speaking, he's reasoning with, um, with King Saul, asking these these questions that, that, of course, the answer is nothing. He hasn't done anything to deserve this. Now, therefore, I pray thee, let my lord the king hear the voices of his servant. And notice he's still referring to himself as a servant. He's not making demands. He's out in the streets protesting and holding a, uh, no, uh, King Saul is not my king. No, sign. He's not doing that. <laughs> okay, he's showing respect. But he is appealing to King Saul's sense of justice and honor here. Respectfully, but he's making that appeal. For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Verse 18, 19. Now therefore I pray thee, let my lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the lord have stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if, there be the, but if they be the children of men, cursed be they from the Lord. In other words, David's appealing to Saul here and saying, is it really God who is moving you to kill me? Or is it someone else? Who is it? If it's God, okay, let, let God accept an, an offering for my sin. If not, let that person who's suggesting that be accursed. And, and perhaps David's speaking of the evil spirit. You know, the, uh, that is troubling Saul. I, or perhaps he's speaking of any person that might be around Saul. You know, maybe, maybe he is suggesting, well, if it's Abner, you know, like Pastor McClure mentioned, take him out. Yeah. If, if someone else is suggesting to you that I should be killed, let them be a curse. Cause it's, not, it's not true. Cursed be they before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. And that's essentially where David's going to find himself in the next passage. David's saying, you're driving me out of the land of my people where I worship the Lord you know, among my people. And you're going to see him going to live with the enemy who are serving other gods in the very next chapter. So this kind of pre-shadows that. And he's putting the blame on King Saul for that or for whoever suggesting that King Saul pursue David and, and kill him. Verse 20, Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea. Notice he's still speaking with this great respect to Saul, putting himself low before the king. He's come out to seek a flea, as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. Again, David's Speaking, what am I? Who am I that, that you're wasting, you know, that you're spending your time hunting for me? And then verse 21, then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm. Because my soul was precious in thine eyes. 
this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold the king's spear, and let one of the young men come over and fetch it. And the Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things and also shall still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. So notice that Saul speaks a blessing to David, as he had previously when, when, when confronted with this truth, that David is honoring the Lord by not smiting the Lord's anointed, by not assassinating the Lord's anointed. And therefore, because David is doing what is right, David's trusting that God will protect him. And, and Saul gives him that blessing. So we see this. David, David gives Saul respect, shows him due respect, and makes an appeal to Saul. So here we see in this chapter, David is trusting God. He's not taking things into his own hands and ridding himself of this threat from King Saul by killing Saul. But then in, in chapter 27, it seems that David has some second thoughts. Not specifically of killing Saul, but of his safety and how God will keep him safe. He, he spoke of the Lord keeping him safe in, in verse 23 of chapter 26, but now look at verse 1 of chapter 27. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me and seek me and to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. So in one situation in the last chapter, he does not take things into his own hands by killing Saul. But the next chapter, it seems like he is taking things into his hands now where he's tired of running. And he's despairing. He's becoming despondent. He feels like, oh, eventually he's going to kill me. Eventually he's going to catch up with me. Eventually he's going to get me. And it's almost one of those situations where he had kind of a mountaintop experience like Elijah, maybe not to that extreme that Elijah experienced it, but sometimes when we have an up, a spiritual uh, an upside, a victory, where he, he was victorious over his flesh and not in the temptation to kill Saul in the previous chapter, then he has a down. You know, he, has sick, he goes into a depression, kind of like Elijah on Mount Carmel, calls down fire on the sacrifice, has the, has the prophets of Baal executed, and then he flees because he hears Jezebel is seeking his life. You know, he's just stood up to the prophets of Baal before his whole country, and yet then he flies, he, he goes away into the wilderness, is depressed, is despairing of his life, and feels like he's the only one and everything is hopeless. And, and it's almost like maybe, maybe that's kind of the moment that David's having here in his life. He had that moment where he's trusting God to protect him. You know, he had that moment where, where Saul is blessing him 
and admitting he's wrong and promising he's not going to hunt him down anymore. But he just does not trust Saul. He's just too many times. Saul has tricked him. You know, he, Saul purposely held back information from his son Jonathan, knowing that Jonathan was David's friend. And so he doesn't trust him. He's, he's time and again thrown a javelin at him. He time and again sought him, even after acknowledging that, that, there were, that David had not done anything wrong and that Saul had been wrong to seek his life. And so David does not trust him, and he's despairing. He's, he's, he's getting despondent here. And so David wrongly fears Saul, the man, in chapter 27. Fears man. The fear of man brings a snare, Proverbs 29:25, which means a trap. We fall into activities or thoughts or feelings that we shouldn't fall into when we fear man. And David seems to be doing that here in chapter 27. So he loses, in verse 1, we see him losing confidence in God's ability to keep him safe. He seems to lose that confidence. What well, he expressed that confidence in chapter, chapter 26, verse 23 and, and 24. But now he seems to, to have lost that confidence in verse 1 of chapter 27. Maybe that's a similar experience to what we saw with David and Nabal, where he just he lost his patience. He had just showed mercy to Saul in chapter 24, but then in chapter 25, he's ready to take Nabal's whole household out. So it seems to have some fluctuation here in his, his feelings, which is why we can't trust our feelings humanly. We have to look to God, have to rely on God. And, you know, David writes a lot of psalms where you see these feelings of despondency, of despair, of feeling that the enemies are closing in all around him. It looks hopeless. And then, and then you also see where he's hopeful in the Psalms. You see where he's, he's calling for God to, to save him. And you see him looking for God to deliver him in the Psalms. And, and here's one of these moments that many of those Psalms perhaps come out of. But David does seem to take things into his own hands here. In, in verses 2 through 7, you see David joins forces with the enemy Philistines. The idea of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's not really a good philosophy. Uh, that's kind of what led to America getting involved with communist China. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Let's play China against Russia. And now China is a major competitor with the U.S. as a result. And uh, could be a future danger in themselves, basically becoming their own superpower because of all of that, my enemy is my enemy as an official policy of the United States dealing with China. And here David does this with the Philistines against Saul. Verse 2. And David arose, and he passed over with 600 men that were with him into, into Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the Carmelitess and Nabal's wife. And remember, this Achish that he's going to, have we seen him before? I believe this is the same man that David pretends to be insane with uh, before previously because the people around him started saying, isn't this the same David that they said, Saul is in his thousands, and David his ten thousands, and David was afraid. 
and acted insane, and Achish said, get him out of here. But now he's going back. He's going back. So he, he has these fluctuations in, in his feelings, in his actions, and how he makes decisions. And here he's choosing to join up with his enemy, the Philistines, and Achish. So verse 4, And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. Now, does verse 25 of chapter 26, was Saul sincere at all? Uh, we don't know. David doesn't think so. David, David, David seems to think that by going to the Philistines, that's what's going to cause Saul to seek him no, no more. And verse 4, it's true that Saul doesn't seek him anymore. Whether that is related to verse 25 of chapter 26, or whether that's related to what David's plot is in here in chapter 27. Verse, six, uh, verse 5, And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore, Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. So David does come away with something out of this relationship with his enemy. Verse 7. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. And David and his men went up and invaded the Gershonites and the Gezerites. And here, so we see David joins forces with his enemy through verse 7, officially anyway. But then in verses 8, started, we started just reading here, verse 8, to the end of the chapter, 8 through 12, we see David is really living a double life. He's professing to be in league with Achish, and in chapter 28 that we'll look at next week, we see at the beginning of that chapter that he's prepared to go to battle, perhaps, against King Saul and against his fellow countrymen. He doesn't actually end up going into battle, but he's lining up lining his men up as if they're going to go into battle. So at least he's saying, he's telling, and we'll see, look at these verses where we clearly see he's living a double life. He's telling Achish, I'm with you, and I'm attacking my countrymen. I'm fighting battles with them. Look at verse 8. And David and his men went up and invaded the Gershurites and the Gezerites and the Malachites. And all these groups here are enemies of Israel. They're people that God actually did tell the Israelites to wipe them all out and not leave anyone left. Think of the Malachites. That's who Saul failed to wipe them all out. Agag, the king was of the Malachites, was the one Samuel hewed to pieces. This is the same Amalekites that Saul said, oh, the people made me keep the cattle and the sheep for sacrifices. They made me do it. And that was the, you know, the last straw for Saul. That was his second act of disobedience. First, he didn't wait for Samuel to come offer the sacrifice in a previous battle against the Philistines. Now, when he was told to go and wipe out the Amalekites and all their stuff and not keep any of the spoil, kind of like with Jericho, and then um, Achan disobeyed that, and Joshua had the, the losses at Ai as a result, and they had to stone Achan and his whole family because he disobeyed the Lord. You know, Saul brought judgment upon himself for disobeying this 
But ironically, David is carrying out this command of God and wiping these people out. But he's uh, doing it under a guise. Look at the rest of the verse and the next verses. For those nations were of old inhabitants of the land, as thou goest assure even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive and took away the sheep and the oxen and the donkeys and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah, and against the south of the Jeremelites, and against the south of the Kenites. In other words, he's telling Achish, Well, I've been fighting against my people. And verse 11. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, lest they should tell on us. Lest they should tell on us. Saying, so did David, and so will be his manner all the while he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, he hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. So he's living a double life. He's, telling, he's doing one thing. He's actually doing the right thing in this case. Rather than doing the wrong thing and saying you're doing the right thing, he's saying he's doing the wrong thing and actually doing the right thing. But he is living a double life nonetheless. And there, there's that, you know, we're not supposed to have a presence of evil, the appearance of evil. We saw that in, in 1 Thessalonians as one of the closing commands of Paul to the Thessalonians. Avoid all appearance of evil. And here there is definitely at least an appearance of evil, that he's doing something he's not supposed to, even though he's actually, in reality, wiping out people that the Israelites were supposed to wipe out. He's, he's doing it under the pretense that he's actually going to battle against his own people and that he is in alliance with Achish, the Philistines, the enemy of his people. All right, so in 1 Samuel 26, we see King Saul receiving due respect from David. And that's, that's okay, that's good. But in chapter 27, David doubts, in verse 1 we see that, David doubts God's power in protecting David and ends up living a double life. We ought to respect authorities, but we must not fear man. Respect, and that's Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man bringeth a snare. Respect those that we work for. Respect those who are in authority over us in government. But fear God rather than men. Don't allow the fear of men to dictate how we feel and how we act, the way that David is, it does in chapter 27. All right. Let's close in prayer.